We come to this place for horror. We come to this podcast to jump, to scream, to scare, because we need that. All of us, that heart-stopping feeling when the lights begin to dim, and we go somewhere we probably shouldn't. Not just frightened, but somehow reanimated together. Terrifying images on a huge silver screen. Sound that makes my blood curl. Somehow, nightmares feel good in a place like this. Our monsters threaten the best part of us. And stories feel creepy and sinister. Because here... They are. It's showtime. If you want me again, I'll cut you like a fish. Understand? Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. You could either ignore it or you could help me destroy it. Welcome to another episode of In a Place Like This. I'm Chris Michael Smith, joined once again by friend of the show, Carlos Frank Estrada. Hello. You may remember him from our Pride Month episodes. Yes, a two-episode special, wasn't it? Right. And we also have another guest joining us today, Taylor B. Tell us about yourself, Taylor. Well, I am the greatest person you will ever meet. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Let's see. I am a zinester and a radio show host here in Ellensburg, Washington. I run a zine called Handbasket because we're all going to hell in one. It is dedicated to LGBTQ plus uh, voices and essays, art, uh, however people want to share their stories. Nice, nice. I'm, I'm going to ask, I ask everyone this question whenever they join the podcast. It's a very difficult question, so don't feel bad if you don't have an answer right away. What is your favorite movie? The Lara Croft Tomb Raider. The Angelina Jolie Lara Croft. Yeah, it is, it is camp. It is ridiculous. It is is uh, the reason, probably one of the reasons uh, Angelina Jolie like really shot up to a list. Um, it is the reason uh, Taco Bell had the uh, the uh, grilled stuff burrito for more than a decade. It has a killer soundtrack, including Nelly Furtado remix of Get Your Freak On. Uh, it's fun. I you know what? I can't disagree with that. I remember seeing Tomb Raider in theaters. Like it was a movie that teenage me made it a point to go see. And no regrets. Carlos, you look so put out right now. <laughs> uh, no, but it immediately br- brought back a lot of memories of that one scene where after she kicked everyone's ass in her own mansion and gets a delivery, um, and the delivery guy is like just like looking just weirded out, like, wor- like WTF, and she goes, I just woke up this morning and hated everything. And it just, it's ingrained into my memory. <laughs> so I don't blame you for choosing that. you last time what your favorite movie was i don't remember carlos i I did not actually have a favorite movie because i don't like a lot of the discourse that happens with uh movies that's right that's right so i'm going to do another cop out and say a genre instead uh camp horror bad horror um stuff that you know it's literally made out in a garage uh somewhere and you just you're just there for the hell of it. And honestly, try it out. Oftentimes it's very free. Uh, you can find them all over uh, the web. Usually it's YouTube, sometimes it's uh, under really dark edges of uh, the internet. Or sometimes you can just grab it on Hulu and it's pretty nice. And if you get a Shutter account, it's usually like a, you get a month free. Uh, nice plug-in. I'm not even getting paid. Trust, I would rather get paid. Um, they have a good selection of really campy, trashy horror. And I'm also going to ask both of you, uh, is there anything else you would like to briefly geek out about before we begin our discussion today? Carlos, you first. Uh, uh, thanks. Um, well, it is um, Asian uh, Pacific Islander Month uh, that we are filming, or filming, recording uh, today. So I'm thinking of geeking out on Asian horror. Ooh. Since, you know, keeping that vibe of, like, you know, me being a spooky bitch, um, going on how much Asian horror uh, 
has really influenced a lot of what we see today. Um, where we constantly make references uh, to, say, uh, The Ring uh, and its video. Uh, and we'll probably get into that in a bit of this podcast. Yeah, actually, come to think of it, with Ringu and... Uh, I remember watching... Uh, it was for a, a film class where I had to watch uh, Pulse, the original like Japanese version of Pulse, which uh, there was a really cool movie that I saw on Shudder called The Medium. Yes. That one freaked me out. It was really good. There was another one that I idly caught. Um, it is also on Shudder. I do not remember the name of it. I'm going to literally Google it as I'm talking at, about the premise. And it was basically uh, a Asian film director um, that ran out of ideas for horror and ended up finding a video that was lost that apparently was made by a uh, ghost. Oh. Um, super convoluted, but also, like, you can tell, like, it was her descent into madness, uh, trying to, like, basically be, create another movie while watching this film that was made by a ghost. Mm. Uh, I idly caught it in the Shutter channel, so they have a live stream channel where they're just showing a movie. Um, and I just caught it in the middle of it, and I was just like, this is weird. I'm now enthralled. I'm interested. Have you Were you able to find it? No. Okay. Just a quick uh, post-production sidebar. Uh, after recording this episode, I went ahead and did some research. The uh, film Carlos is referring to is called Evil Dead Trap. It is currently playing on Shudder, and I'm going to be giving that a look uh, very, very soon. How about you, Taylor? Uh, so, <clears throat> I'm not sure if this counts as a movie or just a straight-up TV special, but um, I have been a huge Power Rangers nerd for uh, since day one. <laughs> so uh, recently, Netflix had uh, Power Rangers Once and Always as a thirty as a thirtieth anniversary special. Uh, they brought back as many of the original cast members of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers as they could uh, to uh, tell a story that's a, like a continuation of. Um, it's, it's wholly, uh, unique to Power Rangers. There's, there's like no Super Sentai influence, Super Sentai being the original, uh, Japanese franchise. Um, it's, it plays like it's shot and recorded and played like if Mighty Morphin was, uh, was happening today. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's not perfect by any means, but then again, neither is Power Rangers, but it is fun. I still need to check that out. I'm a, I'm a kid who grew up with the Power Rangers. Uh, I remember the Power Rangers movie was the first movie I watched by myself in theaters. Oh. So, yeah, I, that, I will always have a soft spot for it. I was obsessed when I was a kid. So I do need to still check that out. All right, our discussion today is on a movie called Skinamarink, which came out earlier this year in select theaters and kind of uh, built up a cult following uh since its release it was one of those word of mouth movies and it kind of continues on this tradition of experimental horror um for me i think experimental horror is as old as cinema itself uh you kind of go back to something like un chien andalou uh by luis buñuel and salvador dali it is a surrealist masterpiece it is a short film if Anyone remembers the image of someone getting their eyeball sliced open? It's from that. <laughs> it's that one. Yeah, that's that's that place imagery. It's a I forget which song. It's a song by the band Pixies uh, that really incorporated that, especially in their live show. And ooh, it it always freaks me out. It does this really cool thing where it's like it's a shot of the moon in the sky, and there's a cloud passing through it, and it's like. It's a, a, a match shot of someone just getting their eye cut open. And it's, there's no story reason for it to be happening. In fact, there's no story. Uh, the way it can be, best be described is it, you're watching a dream. That, that's kind of how that, that is. I think her, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in 1968, uh, this isn't technically a horror film, but because it is experimental and the imagery can be very unsettling. I did want to briefly shout it out. It is one of my favorite movies. It's called The Color of Pomegranates. I feel like everyone who's taken um, a basically a film class has seen uh, 
the color pomegranates. Yeah. Uh, anyone who hasn't taken a film class, if you've seen Lady Gaga's music video for 911, it's filled with references to that movie. It visually just rips on it multiple times. And a good, an, an even more popular film, uh, The Fall. The Fall. Pace, yeah. Also references that film. Tarsum did both. He did The Fall and he did, um, the same director did The Fall and the 911 music video. Yep. And that's where you literally get the heart of those references. Yeah. Uh, but the reason I wanted to shout it out is because some of the imagery in that movie, you'll see like, it's like watching a motion painting and the sensation is like walking past a painting and it feels like the eyes are following you. Uh, that's the vibe I get from that. Uh, so that's... even if it's not technically horror, it can still be pretty unsettling just by being somewhat experimental and different. It's that feeling that something's off, which is always unsettling. And sometimes unsettling is better than scary. Yeah. Now, going back to scary, a few years ago, a movie called The Wolf House was released and honestly when i saw skinnamarink i immediately thought of this it's a stop motion animated film but not like in a traditional sense it's like you're going into this cabin and the style of animation changes from time to time but it's made to look like like a found footage cult recruitment video and everything in it is just really like terrifying even though you're not entirely sure what's going on mm. Uh, it was one of my favorite movies from that year. Like, it was, it's fantastic. Uh, last I checked, I think it's still on Tubi. Which is still free, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. believe so. Awesome. And, of course, I'm sure all three of us have seen The Lighthouse. Oh, yeah, I dragged three other people with me <laughs> this past weekend to go see it. And boy, were they rattled and still mad at me. Oh, <laughs> it's different. It really is different. And very, like, unsettling, very disturbing, but very good, though. It's good, and it has a lot of art references, and of course, like, me being a <laughs> spooky bitch, uh, it is influenced by Edgar Allan Poe's The Lighthouse, um, which is literally just a page. You can read it on the internet for free. Um, it's a mix of Edgar Allan Poe's The Lighthouse and along with uh, different uh, entries in journals from actual lighthouse keepers. I remember there was a podcast I used to listen to... Um... It no longer exists. They stopped doing it. It was called Supernatural. Mm -hmm. And they actually talked about a haunted lighthouse. Mm -hmm. And I immediately thought of that movie. Because I was like, oh, yeah. They kind of like did the same stuff in the movie. And of course you have the master of uh, surreal, experimental, horror-ish movies, David Lynch. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like Mulholland Drive, I still get very freaked out by it even though it's like kind of it's not technically horror but because it it's suspense and psychological so sometimes it has a lot of like it reverbs a lot of horror-esque things without actually keeping to the genre yeah and then like the third act when he just pulls the narrative rug out from under you and it's like wait what's going on and then it just gets more and more like almost going back to Unchan Andalu like uh dreamlike yeah that's that's why like i love it whenever people online describe things as lynchian because like how else are you going to describe uh films or shows like that like it like the rug gets pulled from underneath you like it's it's not scary but it's still scary it's <laughs> it kind of like messes with you psychologically yes especially like when I think the most unsettling thing that I, that he has made, in my opinion, would be Blue Velvet. Um, and you can definitely see his influences when you talk when when you talk about like what he's like ripping through um, his themes. Like you can see um, a lot of like Scorpio Rising, that short film you can see on YouTube, uh, where he got his influence for Blue Velvet, and it's like it's very incoherent. You're just kind of like left going. What the fuck? And that's basically uh, David Lynch's work. Which is weird because Blue Velvet feels like one of his more accessible films. Yes. Uh, the one that um, sticks out to me was um, Twin Peaks. Yeah. <laughs> Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. Fire Walk With Me. The whole it, the scene that was riffed on in The, Sips, the Simpsons uh, where like it's clearly a dream and the guy is just talking backwards through it. Like that seems to that that kind of like is the whole vibe. I think, for David Lynch. Pretty much. 
pretty much. Like, you don't know what's happening. Uh, coffee as viscous as maple syrup. Um, odd, like, bizarre imagery. Yeah. With that in mind, how terrifying is experimental horror to you? Ooh. Um, it really depends. I mean, I get scared easy. <laughs> so uh, I really started, like, like, I love the horror aesthetic. Uh, because I'm a wannabe spooky bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Honorary. 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 There we go. Like, I love the aesthetic, but actually, like, like, watching, like, sitting through the movies, uh, like, if they're especially scary, I, no puedo, (laughs) but the, but, like, stuff like Final Destination movies, watching those now, uh, Friday the 13th Part 2, like, when it's scary, but it's actually camp and not that bad then that i can handle and like but i really can hate the the uh like the trend that's been going on for the past decade or more of like the jump scares like it like things going on and on and then ah! like uh-uh. no i feel like if it's done right if it's done right and if it's not re- just relying on that and that's why like certain movies like do so poorly yeah um I think the movie Smile did it pretty well yes. from last year. Mm-hmm. For me, experimental horror, it can potentially be the most terrifying because I think the unknown element really does uh, sink in. I remember watching The Ring in theaters. Mm-hmm. And like to me, the scariest part of that movie was the videotape. Well, it, I think it's because like it was very incoherent and we didn't know like what we were watching and us having an analytical mind um, thinking like, oh, this is a metaphor, this is an analogy of like XYZ, but it gave us nothing. Yeah. And so it left us like hollow at the end, yeah. wanting answers. Yeah. And not getting those answers. And that, that is also terrifying. And I think probably the selection of imagery that they used, it's like they kind of like tapped into like the subconscious fears that we have. So. Yeah. Yeah, for me, yeah. One of the most basic uh, human fears, right? Like, if you don't know what's going on, if you can't comprehend what's happening, if you don't know what's going to happen, then you don't have a way of processing that. You don't, like, you lack control. So that, so that especially, like, like I don't know if I'm about to get eaten by a bear or somebody's just going to jump and say, ooh, uh, like, that's... <laughs> Like, you don't know what to expect. You don't know what's what to do. So that should freak you out. Is that bear on cocaine? Who knows? It should be. <laughs> I mean, after certain I, films, I'd rather be on cocaine. <laughs> I mean, I've been around plenty of bears on cocaine. And let me tell you, it's... <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen. Palm Springs, uh, during like their major festivals, you will see a ton of bears on cocaine. So we're here to discuss Skinnamarink. Directed by Kyle Edward Ball, his first feature film, he previously uh, worked on a YouTube channel called Bite Sized Nightmares, uh, where he would make short films based on uh, nightmares that commenters have submitted. Uh, seems to be the whole vibe of Skinnamarink, come to think of it. Pretty much. Um, it, I don't want to say it was based on this, but it was sort of like the precursor to it. He did a short as part of that channel called Heck. It was sort of the proof of concept for Skinnamarink. Yeah, I still haven't, uh, I, like, I know I should watch those, but I haven't because, again, I scare easy, and I'm just now getting back to a point where I can get a full night's sleep, so. Got it. I also haven't had a chance to watch it. I know this was one of my questions for the week was, have you seen Heck? I want to ask you a bunch of questions, and I want to have them answered immediately. That was uh, submitted by Yo Arod on Instagram. Uh, yeah, I have not. <laughs> it's on the list. I do plan on doing it. I just haven't had a chance to. And, like, the few times I do, I'm like, I'm about to go to sleep. Do I really want to watch this before going to sleep? And did they say where it was streaming? YouTube. Oh. It's on YouTube, yeah. Uh, part of his YouTube channel. Oh, I'll be damned. All right, saving right now. Skinnamarink was spread by word of mouth. Um, I learned about it. I, I, I saw Twitter mentioning it a few times, and then you invited me, Carlos, to go see yes, it with you. Yes, I invited you. a large group to go see this film. It hadn't really spoken to me either. It was <laughs> a packed house. It was sold out. Yeah, 
the watching that with an audience was with a full packed audience was a experience. That was part of the fun. Was that scene when he goes upstairs and you hear the voice of the father question mark say look under the bed and everyone in the audience was like no no don't do it it was definitely a a good audience participation but you can definitely see how divisive the film was when people started leaving yeah I'm a little envious with that because when my husband and I went down to the nearest uh, the nearest theater where it was uh, playing here uh, the like it was the two of us and then a group of teenagers who came in who were more interested in yelling and throwing popcorn uh, than anything else to the point like like uh, like after five minutes or so like he jumped up and yelled at them like like watch the movie or get the fuck out so it, it helped me a little bit because it made me remember that like this like this is not the life is not the movie this is just a work of fiction yeah but but still, like, damn it, y'all, this is supposed to be really scary. Yeah. I was pretty freaked out by it. Oh, I was literally holding my breath the entire time from when the movie started to when it finally said the end. I could yeah. not breathe. Yeah, I didn't realize, same. I didn't realize, like, by the end of it, it was like, oh, it's over. And I'm, like, exhaling. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> it almost uh, felt like an eternity. Yeah. I was very, t- like, I was tense. Like, my, my palms are sweating right now. <laughs> Like, cause it's, it's like, I was like gripping the, gripping the, the chair, like trying to like bury my face into, into my husband, like, no, 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 no. And like what you, it, to me, like what I thought was going to be scary was benign. And then what I thought, and then what I thought was going to be benign was terrifying. The phone. Oh, <laughs> I ever see that phone again. <laughs> no. And like, you never find out why it's even called Skinnamarink. And apparently there was a reason for the title, uh, because it was supposed to evoke childhood memories. Because we've all, we all have that vague memory of that TV show that was made for preschoolers, where you see the skin of a rinky dinky dink. Um, yeah. yeah. I love you. Yeah. Oh, I remember watching that. Oh yeah. Um. He did remove one N from it because the song is spelled with two N's, but that's to allow Google searches to prioritize the original song and not the movie. Mm. Didn't want to terrify the kids, I guess. That's probably for the best. Yeah. Yeah. It was filmed only in seven days on a $15,000 budget, uh, mostly crowdfunded. Uh, Inspirations included Chantal uh, Ackerman, who um, is recently famous because her movie uh jean dealman became the sight and sound number one movie of all time surprising everybody um and yeah i kind of see it mm-hmm. i i kind of thought this is like the horror version of that sort of with other influences obviously uh stanley kubrick david lynch uh many influences to make this horror film uh what it was and speaking of which, like, because of the movie was word of mouth, a lot of it, what was described to me when I heard it, literally word of mouth, was if David Lynch made Paranormal Activity. Yeah. I see that. And that was the selling point for me. That's a, that, yeah, that works. Kind of going back to The Ring, my first thought when I came out of it was, this is like if the videotape from The Ring were, like, a feature-length movie. Ooh. And I then... That podcast you showed me, uh, the Slashers podcast. Yes. They said the exact same thing, and I'm just like, oh, okay. So I guess I wasn't the only one. Oh, no. Big shout out to the Slashers <laughs> podcast. Uh, they're also a really good one if you enjoy horror. Uh, um, and they are great people. And I'm even wearing their shirt while we're recording uh, this yeah. episode. Yay! Uh, another thing they used a lot of were... Uh, public domain cartoons, like Somewhere in Dreamland, The Cobweb Hotel, Balloonland. Balloonland, interesting enough, was by Ub Iwerks, who was one of, I believe, the first Imagineers for Disney. Oh, wow. Um, Presto Changeo, which was one of the Mary Melody car- Melody's cartoons. Um, I... So, like, listening to some of these in the background, I'm, like, getting these, like flashes of childhood memories because i have definitely watched some of these 
Oh, yeah, because uh, me growing up poor, very poor, um, we had free TV. We had the antenna. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of those uh, old classic cartoons would air all the time because they were readily available and cheap for stations to play. Uh, the one that comes to mind, I know you posted a lot, uh, Taylor, is the uh, image of the the rabbit making himself disappear. Yeah. And when it, like, uh, freezes, or not freezes, it just kind of, like, plays that on a loop. And it's like, oh my gosh, please move past this because it's kind of unsettling. unsettling. Yeah. <laughs> it's, un- it's unsettling, and I think it sets up for good foreshadowing of, yes. like, what happens towards the final act. It's amazing because it feels like he used these cartoons a lot to, like, set up what's actually happening around the house. Mm-hmm. It was definitely, definitely used as foreshadowing. Yeah. Um, and you don't understand it until you watch it again. And unfortunately, yeah. I put myself through it because I do have a Shudder account. <laughs> it's readily available on Shudder. I pre-ordered the Blu-ray, Ooh. the Blu-ray physical release of Skin because it is evil, and I will have it contained within my home. That's totally fine. That's fair. Uh, but uh, yeah, the yeah, like going going back through it, like it it also totally plays into like that sense of comfort at first, uh, like that sense of comfort, like it, like you're a kid awake in the middle of the night, you don't know uh, what's happening, like you can't go back to sleep, so put on some cartoons, hang out in the living room. Uh, and, and it, like, it's, it's happy imagery. Uh, like it's the, it's that like 1920s, uh, like bouncing around type style. And then, and then the freaky shit starts happening. And then, and then like, like, like you said, Carlos, uh, the weird, like, uh, like the more unsettling stuff happens. And then you realize why it's showing the unsettling stuff. A huge success. Well, sleeper success. I'm not gonna say huge. It wasn't. It didn't make uh, Marvel numbers or whatever. Uh, but it did make eight hundred ninety thousand over the first weekend, which you know for a fifteen thousand dollar budget, that's pretty amazing. They recouped everything they've uh, made. Uh, did relatively well with uh, critics. Um, it has a seventy one percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty good. Especially for experimental. For audiences. Not so much. Audiences have been very uh, half and half on this one. It's very polarizing. Yeah. Uh, like I was, I was talking to a, an acquaintance the other day who, like, like I posted that I was going to be talking about this movie, and he said, "Oh, are you going to talk about how awful it is?" I said, "No, it freaked me the f- out." <laughs> uh, and like that's not, but that's not the first time I've heard it from from people I know. Like there are folks who like you said earlier walked out and midway through if not earlier because they were bored and then there were folks like us who uh, who were tense and freaking out the entire time and then saw what happens at, at the very end where it does get more horror movie style one thing i've noticed is it's a bit of a um, the deliberately vague plot the harsh angles the characters never being clearly framed i kind of think it acts as a bit of a Rorschach test for the audience. Because um, everyone gets something different out of it. Or they don't get anything at all. And it's definitely a formula that you have to really factor in what that person who is enjoying that film has gone through. Um, whether they have grown up in the 80s and 90s with analog. Uh, to understand a lot of the references that the film entails. Especially when they tell you the year... Uh, of which the uh, film takes place, even though um, almost none of it kind of tells you beyond like the grainy texture of the film itself. Yeah, the grainy texture of the film, the the wood paneling on the in the house, mm-hmm. in the house, and uh, and the, like the style of a lot of the toys, uh, especially like the. I mean, some of the Legos are some of the Lego pieces are a little more modern, but unless you really knew Lego, then you wouldn't pick up on that listen like i love legos i really don't care if those legos are from the 80s yeah they were just kids toys don't worry about it exactly. might, might be one of barbie's two best performances of the year yes true. <laughs> she'll be in uh she'll be in two films this year you're right yeah oh god it's, we watched this in january and back to that phone, the range to go from Toy Story 3 to uh, 
the scary, arguably the scariest part of the movie. Yeah. Oh my gosh, when you see its eyes, like, in the darkness. We are definitely jumping ahead, but it's Yeah. It's also the, the fact that it's not only, like, growing up in the 80s and 90s and not having um, the accessibility of, like, of the internet back then, of, like, a little more in the mass communication. Like, when you think of the 90s, you think of pre-internet era and how easy it is to, like, com- communicate out. So the film kind of really gives you the sense of stuck in, and especially in that scene with the phone call, unheard of for a landline like nowadays people do not have landlines unless like you kind of grew up with it in the 80s and 90s um and another big one another factor for people who do enjoy it or not or for those who had growing up as being afraid of the dark and not only being afraid of the dark um having your fear of what's in the dark being a reality yes and that's a big factor in in that too because there are people who have had deep instilled memories being revisited while watching this film and very latent memories of just being just like unadulterated like dread uh of just pitch blackness um because the easiest way to like especially for a kid who is uh has a wild imagination we tend to keep uh filling in the gaps when there's nothing there yeah it's yeah it's like that though like it's hard to describe it but like it definitely taps into like an almost primal childlike fear that maybe we don't experience as much as adults anymore but when we were kids like there were times where i wouldn't want to be alone for like more than a certain amount of time just because i'm like oh my gosh, the ghosts will get me, you know? And it will get you. Yeah. That's, that's what, and that's another one of those fears. Like, it's going to get me. And then, like, the, like, there's a, like, the Skinamarink or what, the entity or whatever, it's going to, like, it's there and it's going to get, well, what does get me mean? Yeah. And however that blank is filled, filled for you, like, also plays into just how terrifying it is. Yes. Um, I, I caught that too. Like, just, you don't really know what's going on. You don't know, like, the parents are there, then they're not there, then they're there again, but are they? Are they the, are the, they the entity? Are they ghosts now? Are they alive? Um, where did the doors go? Where did the toilet go? Where did his sister go? Well, the, well, uh, are we going to talk spoilers at, at this point? or No, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll start at the beginning of the film and how it starts, and then we can kind of move okay. on. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah. I mean, narratively, I don't even know if it's a spoilable movie to begin with, just because it's, like, such a non... a very narrative-confounding movie. So I don't even know if it's really spoilable per se, because it really depends on, like, your interpretation of what happened. True. Mm. Because, like, like like you said, um, it is, I I can never pronounce that name, it's a test. A Rorschach test. Thank you. It's what we make of it, and there is a ton of speculation on what the film can be an allegory for, and we can definitely get into it from what I've read. The like the one scene, like I have, I have my ideas of like what the movie is about or what trying to be about, and like I did a whole Twitter thing about it. But the one scene that I cannot ascertain is when the when the screen is entirely red and black. And Kaylee gets absorbed into the wall. Oh yeah. Like, like that's the like everything else. Like, like, uh, like I have I have the idea. Like I I subscribe to one of the main theories about the movies. The movies a narrative, but that scene where it where it's red. Like the movie goes from the blue filter to red, like vibrant red, and then everything else is either uh, like traced in or like just a black overlay and then you see kaylee sitting on the sitting on the bed and then the wall is like she's leaning in and the wall is coming closer and she like gets absorbed into the wall and that and then it goes right back to the darkness like that's the and that was the and that's the first time that we see kaylee like since she got her face erased yeah like 
go from that to like we don't see her again until until the house eats her or whatever the fuck happens. Like that's the one thing I don't I can't explain it. Again, interpretation wise, like even the idea of taking this movie at face value, it's like I don't think anyone who does that is gonna have a good time. Yeah. It's like no, this is not a value movie. No. And I think that's what it it relied on us to fill those gaps from like I said before. And that's why you were constantly left in the pitch blackness and because it was done in an analog analog setting that movement that wasn't movement ended up being movement um being ever so subtle especially with that final scene with the face oh my god um yeah can't i literally shut my eyes for the remainder of that portion i was like absolutely not because it'll be burnt into my system um because it literally lingers onto that scene um but a lot of it uh lights on that night (laughs) yeah I had three nightmares back-to-back uh, for three days straight uh, because of that film. and uh, So that brings it to... Um, I mean, we kind of did touch on this a little bit. Uh, how did Skinnamarink make you feel? Horrified. Terrified. Yeah, I same. Same. Uh, definitely gave me memories of immediate dread that I used to deal with yeah about the same like i i remember like for me i felt very confused which fed right back into my fear like did i want just watch something cursed i don't know oh it's cursed (laughs) (laughs) i remember reading a story of like when paranormal activity was first being like passed around like steven spielberg carried and carried it into like paramount studios in a trash bag saying here, look at this movie. Careful, it's cursed. <laughs> and that's kind of the vibe I got from Skin and Marink. Yeah, it took, it took me right back to when I was a kid in the mid-90s. I would wake up in the middle of the night. Shit was dark. Uh, one of my parents was was not home. And I had no idea what the fuck was going on. Like, I like it, it took me right back to that place, and I did not want to be in that place. Yeah. And that kind of feeds into the next question. And this is probably the harder one because, again, Rorschach test. What was your take on what the film was about? Ooh. Are y'all ready? Yeah, sure. I have two schools of thought. Whichever one you say, I'll probably say the other. Oh. Oh, cool. Uh, Well, I mean, I did a whole uh, Twitter thread on this, but so I'm just going to... Y'all know what I'm going to say, but people listening might not, so groovy. Um, I, I subscribe totally to the theory that the, from the point that the movie turn has the blue filter is, uh, Kevin's Kevin in a coma, uh, trying to cope, uh, trying to cope. Uh, like the movie starts out with, uh, with, um, like it's, it looks, it looks normal. Like the, like you see the kids in the hallway, like you see like the brown walls and like the lights are on in various places. And then we see and hear Kevin falling down the stairs. Uh, and then a light, light comes on in the other room and you hear the dad's voice, uh, like saying like, like a Kevin was sleepwalking again. He fell down. Uh, it's not bad. He doesn't even need stitches. Yeah, Kaylee said that he was uh, that he was sleepwalking. Uh, so, so if somebody that he's familiar with that he's talking to that would know the other kid, and he's talking very casually, so he's not on the phone with the with nine one one or anything. But then, for, but then, like shortly after that point, the movie turns blue, like there's a blue overlay, and and then like it, the camera pans up. The, the few times that the camera actually pans rather than cutting freaks me the out uh, but like it pans back up to the top of the stairs and kevin walks to the stairs but he was downstairs so at this point you know that something is disconnected from reality uh, so, uh and then going from there like his sis his sister's there uh and like they're trying to get things together in the in the living room like for comfort uh we hear the like the scary voices like like directing them either like go like come upstairs uh like the like one or both of the parents are aren't there at the same time 
when the kids are alone, they don't call for their mom, which is which is something that like that's significant because the because like in in like a what what is to be understood as normal like kids want their moms right uh so when the kid like they call for their dad so either mom is not in the picture or there's a reason they're not calling for mom um the the uh, windows and doors are gone because kevin is trapped kevin is trapped within himself and he cannot get out um uh from the uh, from the point that uh we see kaylee's vantage of the dad like telling her to look look under the bed and then she like look look again and then looks up and the mom is and the mom is suddenly there uh and she's like bent over bent over and crying uh crying trying to tell her that you love you very much uh love you very much uh like just listen and then there's a sound and she cuts off she cuts off uh, like we look over and she's gone again uh, so there's so there's something going on with the mom but the, but kevin is trapped kevin is trapped and the movie is him trying to cope with being stuck in a coma the longer that the like the longer that the movie goes on the the more that he forgets that i mean he's like what four or five years old and he, he's a small kid uh, so he doesn't have that much of a concept of the world already. So like the toys floating up and then by the time we see 572 days on the screen, the like everything is topsy-turvy. There's like, you, we can't even distinguish what the toys are in the endless hallway. Uh, there's, there's blood splatter. Uh, there's blood splatter, which is completely unnerving. Uh, the, the phone the phone call uh the phone call where he's trying to call for help and then the then the phone turns into the the uh fisher price phone where the 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 entity is just mocking him or taunting him at this point um then he then uh the completely i I, i'm not even going to talk about like what the what the entity tells kevin to do uh, towards the end because that is that was awful like that was that's especially cursed and, but then like towards the end like we see the like toys are floating up there like there are fewer distinguishing elements within the house and and uh, because like the longer that he's stuck though then the more that he forgets like he's losing his sense of He's losing his sense of, of reality, of memory. So then the, the face telling him, uh, face telling him, go to sleep. Uh, and he's like, who are, like, what's your name? And the voice, and the face doesn't answer him. Uh, and then it cuts to like the end. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> so, so that's what, yeah. So that's one of the schools of thought that he's in a coma. But I found it as an uh, an allegory to child abuse, um, and it comes to a point of having the the child, like basically the initial the initial incident, um, and the uh, father taking control of the situation, um, and you immediately know that he is not the perpetrator. It's like someone else is and especially when you get more of the hints of um when they straight up say um i don't want to talk about mom yes and a lot of a a lot of the beginning of the film is more of a distraction of of the whole situation where no one wants to talk about the situation the sister has a feeling of what has happened and the only thing that she could really do is comfort her her older brother uh, on the situation and of course uh, when it comes to abuse it's very cyclical um, there is a steady calm and then it happens again uh, and that's when they go upstairs um, and that's when we get that jump scare from the from the sister um, but as you can tell um, a lot of the abuse was going towards the brother and at one point um, when the sister basically wants to talk about it she's basically removed out of the situation um and you 
And that's how I felt the deep dread in the film was you never know when the abuse is going to happen again and the anticipation of it rattles you to the core. And having things removed like the um, the bathroom, the lights, the, um, the doors, the windows just suddenly disappearing, um, feeling the sense of helplessness, especially when he finally does that 911 phone call. Finally, you have that sense of hope of something is going to resolve itself and ended up happening as that big fake, like the big fake out of no one's here to help you. And the sense of dread and it tore me to pieces, honestly. Yeah. Um, I cannot follow either of those stories because, <laughs> yeah. I think I, I think both of you have like great, um, really great uh, outlooks on the movie. I'm not even calling them theories because again, it was designed as like your interpretation is your inter interpretation. For me, I do I, what I got out of it was closer to yours, Taylor's, um, where it was sort of a coma. What I was thinking too is, have you ever been in that state of like REM sleep, like? as you're waking up but you're still like in that state of REM sleep and then you're kind of awake but something else is in the room that shouldn't be there it's almost like sleep paralysis happens a lot like that like there was one morning I woke up and I could swear I could feel something touching my ankle and I looked up there was something standing at the foot of my bed uh, my house is not haunted, so I... Sleep paralysis, yeah. they'll get you. Yeah, so it's like that. Or, like, sometimes I'll wake up, and I'll swear I hear somebody calling my name, but nobody's there. And again, this is just, like, I've looked into it. It's sort of like your brain, you're waking up, but your brain isn't quite there yet. So, like, we'll fill in, like, little things. Like, you're kind of, it's kind of almost like a waking dream sort of situation. Which is why I now sleep with a sleep mask. Yeah. Which kind of ends it, because if it, you do feel it, and, like, you know, sometimes your eyes open in that situation, uh, I don't see anything. Yeah. So, don't see anything, don't worry about it. <laughs> the movie, right. to me, was, like, a perpetual state of that. Yeah, no, I've never I've never had the sleep, like, a, I've seen all the memes of, like, sleep paralysis theme and all that. Uh, no, like... I've been told, though, by my husband and other lovers uh, that sometimes I've woken up in the middle of the night and had full um, abstract conversations about nothing in particular that make no sense. And I don't remember any of it. Like, uh, like I was told one time there was like I was talking about like uh, like magical realism. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I've apparently reviewed a movie once in my sleep, and I'm just like... Listen, listen. I mean, it, it, on brand for me, I guess. I have <laughs> broken up with a very particular ex of mine as I was sleeping. Uh, and then he, of course, tells me about it the day after, going, Hey, is everything okay? He's like, yeah, why? And I'm like, you broke up with me in your sleep. And I knew you were sleeping because it transitioned between Panda and Apple's and I knew you were asleep. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm like, oh, great, cool, awesome. Well, I mean, we ended up breaking up. That's yeah. probably the worst ex I've ever had. Uh, uh, but, you know. Like, yeah, the whole thing about being in a coma, I would imagine, like, because I've never been in a coma. No. Like, no. thankfully. Mm. Uh, but I would imagine, like, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of, like, dream-like things happening. Going back to Unchan Andalou, like, it's sort of like a perpetual dream where nothing makes sense. Everything is surreal. Everything is like disappearing on you. Uh, toys are floating up to the ceiling. It's like a, an endless nightmare almost. Which is why my allegory of child abuse is it is a never ending nightmare yep. because uh, you don't know what to expect. You don't know when the next trigger is going to happen. And also one of the things I love about hearing other, other interpretations of it is the next time I watch it, that's going to apply to it. It's great. Oh, I loved hearing these. These. Yeah, I think the think like the jump scares, like the jump scares of like uh, correlating with triggers for that really makes sense now because like the first, the first one that we see, if I remember correctly, is like is like this like almost like swamp monster arm like coming around and it's like 
really fast and almost in a, almost in a different uh, art like a like film filming style and like on the on like a white or yellow wall uh, and like as it's as it's uh, going for the light switch and then like of course like the piercing scream like what happens with all of them and then uh then like Kaylee's face being erased um of course that goddamn phone and I don't remember the other one but yeah like they're all like there's something there's something like I mean it's absolutely triggering and all and like it stands out because it's so distinct those moments are so distinct from everything else that happens yeah Except that goddamn red room. What is that about? I do not know. <laughs> I did remember a part in the movie where the film grain just disappeared entirely, and it looked really clear, and I was, like, expecting something to happen in that scene. Mm -hmm. But it was just... It was someone, like, looking through drawers. Yeah. Like, you remember that? And I, I couldn't really place that scene either. I think it was probably trying to feel of helplessness, trying to search for something. Um, it needed to be clearer, and I think... Um, this film really did a good job of you know how kids don't look at you like rarely they will not look at you especially if you're new uh they are you're someone that you don't know they will not look directly at you so a lot of the film you're seeing the floor the wall um not seeing a full coherent thing while anything is happening because they know someone is there, and they don't know someone is there. And that is the kid's first reaction. Any kid's first reaction is, they're not going to look at you. And you mm -hmm. have to... <laughs> I'm sorry, parents. Uh, your kids are not going to look at strangers. Make peace with it. Um, it's because they're kids. They're kids. Let kids be kids. So they... It made a great point of having it more on the brother's point of view, a majority of the film. And I think a lot of people needed to understand that, that you're not going to see what, what is there. Yeah. And so when they made that point of making it super clear, there's no analog grain from the film itself. You're seeing them rummage through trying to find something in drawers. Um, they had the intent of they're immediately wanting to find something that they know like is there is no longer there, which is why they're rummaging. Yeah. And that, that could be literally, like, anything from, like, doors to toilets to people. Yeah. yeah. Which is why, like, a lot of the clear images in the film were, A, the toys, B, when they went to the restroom, at the beginning of the movie when they're having cereal. Um, a lot of it is very clear um, because there are for sure things that they know and can control um, within their own realm. Yeah. And when things start to disappear, that's when we lose that ability to see clearly. Yes. So, we did get a few questions. Ooh. We Ooh. answered one of them already with um our with uh Yo A Rod's qu uh, question on um uh have we seen heck, which that's homework now for me at least. I need to check that out. I probably should have checked it out for the before the episode. What I did see in anticipation for this episode though, um, this one is on Hoopla right now, which is another, if you have a library card, uh, free service, you could watch movies on it, you can do audiobooks, all that stuff, it's great. Uh, it's called The Outwaters. Oh, God. Ooh. Mm. That mm. one <laughs> came out uh, earlier this year as well. Since I'm uh, the only one that has not watched it, clearly, what is it? So it nope. is... Nope. <laughs> Found footage. Chris, Chris, you take it. It's a found footage horror film okay. that uh, a group of friends go out to the desert. Oh, I think a couple of them are brothers and yeah. a sister. Uh, they all go out to the desert for uh, to film a music video, and a bunch of weird stuff starts to happen. Um, this movie this year was being mentioned a lot in the same conversation as Skinnamarink. That's why I wanted to watch it. Yeah, the and like I like I remember seeing on Twitter like the like the Kyle Edward Ball and like out outside like Outlanders like they were like buddied up with each other like really like getting along uh, like hyping each other up. Yeah, um, the thing about the Outwaters is that it is a lot easier to decipher. I mean, it's not super clear, 
but it's still like you could kind of piece together things a little bit easier it's less of a rorschach test and more like oh okay like you could see they explain a little bit of as to like what happened um so you kind of like get a vibe for like okay this is why things are the way they are it's still up to some interpretation but it is another example of a good experimental horror film oh it is too much you're not wrong. It is a lot, especially the end, especially that uh, final. Yeah, no, we, we don't need to revisit that. What's the next quest? <laughs> Another one. Um, well, one of them was kind of a joke. It was from friend of the show, Clark Silva, from our uh, Phantom of the Opera episode. Uh, how much pot do you need to smoke to make this a good movie? <laughs> yeah, don't. You don't? <laughs> <laughs> it was a it was a joke. He actually hadn't seen the film at the time he asked that question. So I guess he was just more aware of the uh, discourse. Uh, he did ask a more serious one, but I do think that we covered that as part of the episode, and that's what's your interpretation of the film? Uh, I I think yeah yeah we we covered it. Uh, those were our only questions. I actually just ran through just to make sure nobody else submitted anything. So um, yeah, those were our questions for the episode. Uh, a little bit light this week, but that's okay. Uh, Skinnamarink was kind of niche. Uh, it's very niche because it comes with a genre of horror that we normally don't see nowadays. So Skinnamarink is definitely a type of genre that you don't see every day. It's like analog horror. Um, the last time I've ever seen an analog horror that wasn't like mainstream, like Paranormal Activity, uh, would be an old YouTube series. Uh, called Marble Hornets, if that brings memories about Slenderman. Yeah, uh, it was a short-lived couple-episode YouTube uh, series, and it was eerie, it was creepy, it had a lot of uh, found footage vibe, um, almost like uh, the Blair Witch Project. Um, but a lot of, like, a lot of that art form is a... It's basically a snippet of a particular time um, of uh, the 90s, the 80s, the 90s, uh, the early 2000s, right before a lot of the technology that can be now in the palm of our hands. Um, things that were uh, in camcorders, um, on film, on Super 8s. Like, you do not see a lot of it now because of how expensive it is. So when we get treated to something in that genre... It, it harkens back to when we grew up. Like, we are, we're in our 30s. So, <laughs> preface, we are a little older uh, than a lot of the targeted audience for certain films, like early 20s, and people who are currently in their early 20s have become more part of the digital world, where they did not have the analog uh, feel. So a lot of, like, the references kind of get missed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned Blair Witch because Blair Witch kind of had the same kind of reaction when that came out. Um, also, found footage horror. It's not something that was very common in 1999. Uh, still was the subject of discussion as to, wait, what is this about? What happened? What, what, like, I don't understand this ending. And, like, some people reacted to that with, like, amazement, like, this is art. And other people were like, I don't understand this, so I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> Reminds me of, like, the cutaway gag on Family Guy where uh, Peter's blind for whatever reason, so he and Brian are watching the movie. It's like, okay, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. Okay, the movie's over. <laughs> <laughs> movie's uh, over, everyone seems pissed. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, yeah, that's it. Nothing's happening, everyone's pissed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's gonna marine for you, thank you. Yeah, basically. Basically, it's gonna marine. <laughs> Alright, so our rotating segment, once again this week, is Double Feature. This is one I only did once last season, but this season it's pretty popular. Uh, so the idea behind Double Feature is we find two unrelated movies and pair them together. And why would why do we think that would they would work together? Related to this, 
I would actually say um, what we said earlier, um, paranormal activity. So hearkening back to more of a liminal space, if I'm, I'm keeping more on the liminal space because it's a nice uh, revitalization of a type of genre that not many people could put a word to it. Because um, a lot of it, like Skin of Marink, um, paranormal activity had that liminal space of just like empty hallways, um, basically lived in but not lived in um, sense of hollowness. That is a good, um, in my opinion, a good supplement for what we just watched. Um, I, I would pair Skinnamarink with God. I'm trying to remember the name. Um... It's the it's the experiment experimental art film that Daft Punk did in two thousand five two thousand six, something Rama. Um, I would I would I would pair it with that. Uh, oh, Carlos, are you looking for the? I'm looking for it right now. Don't worry about it. Keep talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So I would pair it with that because they're both very experimental. They're both unsettling. They both have a kind of a kind of like unexplainable imagery uh kind of just like uh but this one uh it's not nocturama oh you're uh, close electroma 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 yes electroma uh yeah so i would pair a uh, skinnamarink with Daft punk's electroma because because like they both have surreal imagery uh, but uh why where skinnamarink terrifies you uh electroma is uh is an art film uh, like there's no really explaining it, but I don't think that they're really going for anything either. Uh, so I think that's also a palette cleanser because most of Skinnamarink is in pitch black darkness, and uh, most of Electoma is brighter. Okay. So so you have like shot chaser. I'm gonna cheat a little bit. So going old school with like okay you're gonna have a double feature but you're gonna also have a short right in front of it so you know you know like when in the old days when you used to go to the movies it gives like a whole day affair you get the short then you get the a feature feature you get the b feature like that the short i would pick is unchan and the loop there we go there we go uh the feature i would pair with skinnamarink would be the wolf house uh, once again, I try to talk this up as much as possible because I think it's one of the most unsettling movies ever made. Um, it's on Tubi right now if you haven't had a chance to see it. Stop motion animation. It's from Chile. Um, and I think it's part German too. It's Chilean and German co-production. Um, again, it's made to look like it was a, a cult and they made this video, this animated video to get people to join their cult. And it's like supposed to be a cautionary tale, but everything in it is just a little bit off. Like the children, they like turn into pigs and then they're back to children again. And can I explain to you what it's about? No. Can I explain to you what Skinnamarink is about? Not really. <laughs> but if you're looking for like those vibes in an animated film, The Wolf House is that. Cool. Yeah. But it's great, though. Highly recommend it. If you're into, like, experimental art house horror, uh, that's a good one. Uh, so, where can we find you on social media? Wow. Oh, okay. Uh, so, you can find me on social media uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at handbasketzine. That's handbasketzine. Nice. Uh, I have read some of the articles on there i know carlos you have written a few articles for yes, that i am a huge supporter of handbasket uh, uh, i'm really proud of taylor and all of his blood sweat tears and heart that he pours into everything that he does whether it is the zine or his radio show that's on mondays uh at ellensburg community radio um <laughs> an amazing uh way to hear you every single week um but I, I, yeah, so uh, enough about you, Taylor. Uh, uh, <laughs> one last thing. We've got the, uh, I'm relaunching the zine. The the next, the, the relaunch issue comes out on Friday. Uh, both of y'all are getting your card copies, of course, so they'll be in the mail soon. 
Sweet. Yes, and you will uh, see one of my articles in that issue uh, talking about discourse and why it's cyclical and catching things before it happens. Yes. Yes, that's <laughs> good. Um, yeah, no, that I really appreciate everything the magazine does because it's it highlights queer voices. Um, in a way that most magazines don't. It's independently run. Um, so yeah, it's support like independent editors, publishers, stuff like that. Supporting your own community. Support the queer community. Support the people around you, honestly. Because like, you are not self-made. You're community-made. Yes, exactly. It takes a village to rise everyone up. Thank you all so much. Yeah. Of course, yeah. And of course, you can catch me on Twitter, Instagram, um, TikTok at Carlos the Fog. Um, not to be mistaken with the frog, as I as I've done multiple times. Uh, it is K A R L O S the T H E F O G. So that way, you can find me uh, on social media and see me should post. Oh yeah, so much fun. <laughs> but yeah, and of course you write for, you write articles for Handbasket as well. Yes, so, yes, okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Y'all are both huge supporters. I'm so grateful for y'all. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you for supporting the podcast too. I really appreciate it. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. I'd like to come back anytime. Uh, thank you very much. And for everyone at home, I hope you are not just entertained, but somehow reborn. <laughs> <laughs>